0: Today's reading comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give. And And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not saying anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work.
1: Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for showering your gifts on us. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We praise you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Lord, we pray that you'd make us generous people, as joyfully we have received to joyfully give. And we pray now, Lord, that the words of our lips and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I I had to start just personally. um, I was a student pastor, what we call a vicar, just like a pastoral intern uh, at a church in in Arizona. And uh, that church actually, kids, listen to this. That church actually gave candy to the kids after every single children's message. And so the pastor told me this, like my first week, he was like, okay, so you're responsible for getting the candy. Um, this week, the, the, the lollipops and the Smarties this week is what reminded me of this. And, and so I, I went, I'm like, I, we didn't have kids at that point, Kate and I were first married. And, and uh, I'm like, well, when I think of candy, I'm getting chocolate. So I went and got chocolate, like, and kids came out of that worship service, like with chocolate smeared on them and their parents and the person in front of it. And like all the parents were like, no chocolate. So two weeks later, it's my turn again for the children's message, so, so I go and get candy, I'm like, all right, fine, no chocolate, I'm like, like little bags of Skittles. So they all get these little bags of Skittles, it's time for the sermon, all you can hear are bags of Skittles in the room, that's all, you're just rustling of these little, I'm like, parents are like, no Skittles, no bags, fine, so then two weeks go by, it's my turn again, so I'm like, you can't go wrong with lollipops, right? So I get these little dum-dums, and after the children's message, I give them all to the kids, and they, all the parents leave that day, they're like, good job, lollipops, sweet, I got this right. Well, the next Sunday, it's the, the pastor's turn to do the children's message, so he brings up candy, and he brings up a big basket for the kids, and when it's all done, he says, just remember, kids, that vicar might think you're dum-dums, but pastor knows you're smarties. <laughs> I'm never going to win this, Never. But, you know, we get something like a little piece of candy and that opportunity to share. and It reminds us of what that generous spirit God wants us to have is all about, right? That God calls us to be joyfully generous, to understand what he gives to us so that we can be a blessing to other people. And it's that joyful generosity that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a joyful generosity that really frames the way that we view all the things that God gives to us. Before we get too deep into 2 Corinthians 9, I want to take a little bit of a, of a detour, a little bit of a side trip to get there. Uh, I love the Dan Patrick show. Some of you know Dan Patrick. He's a sports commentator, uh, runs a show every day. Um, actually, that's the podcast that I listen to when I do long runs. Um, and Dan Patrick was interviewing, about a week and a half ago, he was interviewing Mike Tarico. Uh, some of you know Mike Tirico, others of you maybe don't. Mike Tirico is taking over the 2018 Olympics from Bob Costas. So for the first time in like 100 Olympics, Bob Costas is going to be the host. Instead, Mike Tirico is going to be the host. And, uh, and so Dan Patrick, he phoned into the Dan Patrick show from Pyeongchang, South Korea, to tell him about the Olympic stuff that was going on. So it's really fascinating. I love the Olympics. I like, I like both of these two guys, and this is really neat. So I'm listening closely, and Dan Patrick asks him, how are the preparations going? And, and Mike Tirico starts off by saying, well, it's nothing like Sochi, right? So you remember the Sochi Olympics in 2014? There's so nothing like Sochi. Here, the Olympics aren't for three months. The venues are all done. We've already toured them. We toured all the press areas. We've already seen all the tracks. Pretty much, they're ready for the Olympics. But what stuck out in my mind was, it's nothing like Sochi. Right? And you remember those Olympics in Sochi, Russia in 2014. You might remember, I mean, those stories go away fast, but they weren't ready. Like, they had been granted this opportunity to host the Olympics for the world. They had signed all the contracts. They built nine hotels for the Sochi Olympics. Only six of them were open because the other three weren't completed. And as Dan Patrick and Mike Tirico were talking, he said, Dan, you remember all the signs it was the Olympics open, the signs on walls and doorways that said, wet paint, do not touch? They, they weren't ready for the Olympics to happen. And, and Sochi had become a cautionary tale, a cautionary tale of what it means to not fulfill a vow or an obligation that you made. When I think about that, I think about those vows and those promises that we make, and the vows and promises that, that the Corinthians made. And what it means to be people of our word who fulfill those promises. People of our word who do what we say so we don't become a cautionary tale. You see, whenever we make a commitment to something, whenever we make a promise, whenever we make a vow, it's, it's our word that's on the line. And when that's not fulfilled, then our word comes into question. And what we begin to realize is it's not just our word that comes into question, but that it affects a whole group of people who are around us, everyone who's involved in that promise, everyone who relies on our word. We call that having integrity. When we make a commitment or a promise, it's our integrity that's, being que- that's in question. That's why Jesus speaks about this. When Jesus was instructing, he said, let your no be no and your yes be yes. Yes. Don't make a vow or a commitment in my name, Jesus said. Why? Because at the end of that, if you don't fulfill it, your integrity is going to be called into question. Well, Paul sees the situation with the Corinthians and the whole region of believers. It's called Achaia, right? And we see is that the Christians in Achaia had made a commitment, made a promise to help. And it was a generous promise. In fact, This is what Paul says. He says, you promised a generous gift in verse 5. A generous gift that they were making. And it was a generous gift, you recall, to help the people in Jerusalem. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But when this need had arisen, when they found out about it, they had responded and said that they would make a generous gift. And so Paul's reminding them of the promise they made so that they will fulfill it. Because if they don't fulfill it, they will bring shame what's interesting is, I talked to you last week about how Paul was comparing the Christians in Achaia and the Christians in Macedonia, saying, why can't you be more like the Macedonians? What we find out is that Paul was also telling the Macedonians about the Achaeans, about the Corinthians. He was telling them about the faith which had, had promoted them or had, had pushed them forward to make this commitment. And so he says to them, I, I want you to fulfill the commitment you made because I've been telling others about it. What you're doing is so wonderful that I want others to know. And if you don't fulfill it, you're gonna call into question my word, Paul says. But not just mine. You're gonna call into question your own word. You're gonna call into question your own integrity. Now I find this really fascinating because I think this is one of those places Where the scriptures are so real, they're so alive. I can picture these words being written to us today in 2017. They're just as as real now as when they were written almost 2,000 years ago. We start to examine the commitments and the challenges that we have to fulfill those commitments. And I can picture these words being written Remember the promise you made, fulfill the commitments. That you've made remember your vows and follow through on those things so that your integrity won't be questioned and so that those to whom you've made the promise will be blessed what commitments have you made but well, what promises what, what vows remain outstanding some of them are more subtle than others some are very obvious for those of us who are married we made a vow right we made a vow before God and the witnesses who were there. We made a vow that we would love our spouse. We made a vow that we would remain committed. In fact, as a reminder of that vow, we gave each other rings, right? The, the ring that we wear, I remind couples of this, the ring that we wear is actually not our ring, it's our spouse's ring. So the ring that I wear belongs to Kate. And when I, when I see that ring, I'm reminded that I made a vow to her and that she made a vow to me. It's a reminder. It's not just something to look at and go, isn't that beautiful? It's a promise. That's an obvious vow. But We made vows to our children when they were born. Vows that we would, we would raise them in the faith and that we would care for them. We make vows to our employers, to other people in our lives. We make vows to our friends. We make promises. And as we evaluate those promises, as we evaluate those vows and commitments that we've made, we have to ask ourselves how we're doing with those. And are we fulfilling them the way that we have promised to? And it's important for us to just just pause for a second here and, and to remember that this isn't meant to be A law for us to fulfill and do. It's not meant to be something that just simply crushes us, but instead it's important for us to remember who our God is. Because when we don't fulfill our vows, when we don't fulfill our promises and our commitments, it calls into question our integrity, but that doesn't change who God is. We're reminded that no promises aren't made to be broken, but that God fulfills the promises that He makes for our God is perfect and loving. So he has made us promises and the promises that he has made is the promise to forgive. God as we read in 1st John is faithful and just to forgive us. That we live as forgiven people. Forgiven for the ways that we have broken the promises that we've made. That we haven't lived according to the vows that we've committed to or the commitments that we've made but that we can return to our God who is faithful and just that he will forgive us of those ways that we have fallen short and renew us in them. And that's always important for us to be reminded, to remind ourselves that our journey continues. It doesn't stop there, but that now God works in us to fulfill that vow, to go the next time and to say, Lord, help me, help me in all that I do to fulfill this commitment and this vow that I as your redeemed child might grow forward. Paul wants the Corinthians to remember this. He wants to remind them of what it means to know that their vows have been made before God, that they are forgiven people, and to allow their word to stand, and to allow their commitment to be a blessing to other people. So now think about that for a second. As they they make good on their promise, as they're motivated to make good on their promise, Paul points out certain things to them. The first thing he does is to remind them. Right? Remember the vow that you made. That's what we were just talking about. Remember the vow that you've made. The second thing he tells them is to remember that God is with you. God is with you in the midst of all the commitments that you make and in their fulfillment, that God is with you. Listen to what he says in verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love when Bible verses are that clear, right, where Paul leaves nothing to question. He doesn't say, you'll you'll probably have enough, it'll probably go all right. No, it's very clear. I want to read it again. Listen to the amount of times Paul says the word all. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Pretty clear, isn't it? You will have enough to fulfill the vow that you made. You will be fully supplied so that you can commit and do the good work to which he has called you. Now, I always feel the need to step out of this for a second at this point and say, understand, this isn't some kind of a scam to get rich quick. Don't commit to things because you say, well, then, you see, God is going to fulfill all these things and all things in every way. No, God is going to enable you to fulfill those things that he has called you to commit to, that he has called you to do in your life, that he is calling you forward to remember that God is with you. He's with you in the midst of all of these. Remember the promise you've made. Remember that God is with you. And remember, Paul says, that you were not obligated to do this. And this is so important. Remember that you're not obligated to make this commitment that you made. You did this of your own free will, right? This was a decision, this was a choice that you made when you made this promise, and so fulfill the promise that you made. But he always says to them, look, very clearly, or he says to them very clearly, excuse me, God loves a cheerful giver, right? He doesn't want this to be out of compulsion or obligation. He doesn't want this to be something where they feel like they've been held down to the mat and their arm has been twisted. Instead, he says to them, Remember that you made this vow, that something moved and motivated your heart. And when you made that vow, now remember to fulfill it in the same spirit. Don't go about it begrudgingly. Don't go about it as grumpy as you can be. Well, now I got to go do this. No, instead, understand why you do the things you do. Understand why you made the vow in the first place. Now, there's a lesson for us, isn't there? there's a lesson for us. To go about joyfully fulfilling the promises that we've made and to do so because we know that God is with us. And the last thing he says, it's a lot like the second one, is that God will provide. God will provide for you in the midst of the vows that you make, the promises that you make, the commitments that you make. That you make. He will be with you as you fulfill these. I talked about this quite a bit last week. Remember to not operate out of a culture of poverty that says, oh, I'm not sure there's enough to do this, but instead to operate out of a mindset of plenty, to know that the well is deep from which you draw to know that God doesn't need things from us, but instead freely gives them to us that we might steward them for other people, that we in turn might share them with others to operate out of a mindset of plenty rather than out of a mindset of poverty. And in so doing, by fulfilling their commitments, they become a blessing to other people. And that's such a key thing right? Paul tells them to focus on the outcome so that the process isn't as painful, right? To focus on the outcome so that the process isn't as painful, and that's really important. Results always belong to God, right? We don't, we don't give a gift and then get to control it. We know results always belong to God. We never know the effect of a conversation we have. We never know the effect of a hug that we give. We never know the true effect of money that we give. We don't know where all that goes. It always belongs to God. That's not what this is, What we're reminded of is to keep other people in mind first. To remember the outcome so that the process isn't as painful. Now, Andrew announced at the beginning of worship today, we had raised $50,000 as part of Team World Vision, right? Running the marathon and half-marathon. And I'll admit to you, it was painful to train, right? Those of you that did it, those of you that have done it, it's painful. And I will also tell you that there were times on the long runs that you have to do, right, in the midst of the long runs, to be able to remind myself why I'm doing this, to remember the outcome. And there were countless times when I said to myself, you have the luxury of training for a marathon, but there is someone today who's walking through dangerous territory just to try to find clean water for their family. Remembering the outcome makes the process At least a little bit less painful. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. Remember that your giving will be a blessing to other people. You see, the people in Jerusalem to whom they were giving had had a severe famine in the late 40s, not the 1940s, the 40s, right? And that famine had wiped out the farming in the region, so the storehouses were now empty. There was nothing for them to continue to give. There was nothing for them to receive. It was only the wealthy who could go beyond those realms and to get other food from other places. And so people were literally, years later this was, probably 10 years later, still starving as a result of that famine. To compound the problem, the Jewish people tended to, to migrate back to Jerusalem late in their lives. When they, when they were not able to do their work any longer... When they were widowed, they moved back to Jerusalem. So now you had the most vulnerable people who were there, and there weren't the things, the supplies to take care of them. To compound the problem even further, these Jewish people who were moving back that Paul's speaking about, the ones for whom the collection was taken, they had become Christians. And because of their Christian faith, they were ostracized by their Jewish brothers and sisters. There was no one there to take care of them. Not to mention that there weren't the means to take care of them anyway. Paul told the Corinthians about this, the Achaeans about this, the Macedonians about this, the churches all throughout the world about this, and they had collected for it. Paul says, remember them. Remember why you're doing this. Remember that the giving that you're doing is so that God's people might have their needs met through you. Or or better said, God would meet their needs through you. Paul says, remember that their physical needs will be met. And then he says one step further. Remember that as a result of their needs being met, they will give thanks to God. What a great thing for us. What a a mature way for us to view our generosity is to be able to say, I do this not so that I get a pat on the back. I do this because if somebody is well-fed as somebody is cared for, as somebody is loved, they will give thanks to my God. And that is the witness that we get to give. To know that somewhere, someone will give thanks to God because of what you have done. That flies in the face of, of who we are as humans, right? We all kind of like to be congratulated for what we do. We all kind of like to be patted on the back or maybe, maybe just have the building named after us. Would that be too much to ask for? And instead, God tells us the greatest gift is that others would give thanks to him for the blessing that we have been to them. What a word for us as we give. That we would be reminded when giving to first rely on God. To know why it is that we give in the first place. To know all that he has given to us. To know that we are his forgiven people to know that he has showered love and forgiveness on us, that he has freely sent his son, Jesus, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. To know that poured on us enables us to rely on God when giving, to operate out of a a mindset of plenty. Second thing we're reminded when giving, remember your commitments. Remember the promises you've made. Be people of integrity. The third thing, Consider the witness that you are giving. Consider that you are allowing other people to be thankful. Consider that you are stewarding the gifts that God has given to you so that you are a blessing to others. And the last thing, participate in thankfulness. To know that God continues to shower his blessings on you, continues to abundantly provide for you so that you can be a blessing to others. And that as God showers that love on you, have the opportunity to participate in thankfulness to your God. Generosity results in thanksgiving. Christian generosity results in joyfulness and in thanksgiving as we praise God for all that he continues to do in us and all that he continues to do through us. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.